0: I think in a lot of ways it was because i was easy to manipulate and a lot of people will say now like i was dating harder after you did pornography and were a sex worker like no it was harder when i was younger because i was so naive and men used to really take advantage of me now because i've experienced all of that like no man's going to take advantage of me
1: yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Low with Emrata. Today we have on Lana Rhodes. She is somebody that I connected to personally when she posted pictures of my book, and I was very drawn to her because I knew her from her work in the adult film industry and her stuff on YouTube. And I was just very excited to have this conversation with her. We've had a lot of different people who have worked in sex work on the podcast before, Mia Khalifa, Chloe Cherry, to name a few, um, and had a lot of conversations about sex work and the industry. And we're going to cover a lot, a lot of things today. I want to put a big fat trigger warning on this episode. We talk about a lot of things, eating disorders, sexual assault, mental health, drug use. So um, just for anybody who doesn't want to hear those things, this episode might not be for you. Without further ado, here is Lana Rhodes. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Thank you so much for being here. I've been, want you were on my list a year ago as somebody I wanted to come on the podcast, so.
0: Yeah, I think you asked me before you put out your first episode yeah. and I really wanted to do it, but our schedules just haven't lined up until I know, now. So
1: I'm really, I just feel like it's perfect. It's almost been exactly a year and I'm just really happy you're here. Thank you. So there's so much I wanted to talk to you about, but- I wanted to start with just what you, what your childhood was like growing up in Chicago, right?
0: Yeah, I'm from Chicago originally. That's such a broad question. (laughs) Do you have specific? What was that like? I was raised by a single mom. My parents got divorced while my mom was pregnant with me actually. So I never experienced like a father in the home. So now I would say like, I definitely, there's times as being a single mom myself or even deciding to have a child without having a partner where I never thought twice about it or thought, oh, this is weird. Or like I'll be in the airport sometimes and I'll have all my bags then a car seat and the baby stroller and I'm carrying so many things and people are like do you need help and like I don't think that it's difficult because I saw that my entire life yeah so it's just normal for me to do all of that I definitely like I don't think any way about being a single mom because that's all that I've seen
1: now I'm in the mode when someone does go to help me I'm like oh wow that's an option like people do this with people a lot especially traveling yeah, Traveling solo with a two-year-old is very real and hard.
0: Yes. Yeah. It definitely helps every time. Like, I've learned to accept more help. Like, when people are like, oh, can I help you with that? I'm like,
1: yes, please. Yes. No, me too. Please. Totally. I used to be like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it really counts. And you had a little sister that you kind of took care of too, right, growing up? So she's my older sister. Okay, she's
0: older. Yeah. So I have a sister who's three and a half years older than me. But the reason why it was more of me being in like the older one,
1: the caregiver, yeah.
0: um, Is because my sister has schizophrenia Mm. and she's completely like disabled by it, Um, catatonic really, where she couldn't even converse with us. Like, say I go home for Thanksgiving, she's just staring or like laughing and like. She's disabled by it completely. She lives on disability. She lives in public housing. She can't really do anything. And she she also has a child, though. Wow. Um,
1: and my mom's raising him. Wow. And they still in Chicago?
0: Yeah, they're all still in Chicago.
1: What was that like growing up with a sister who was dealing with that? Did she have schizophrenia from a... Because sometimes the onset comes later with schizophrenia, right?
0: Yeah. So she wasn't diagnosed with schizophrenia until maybe... 1920 when it became really prevalent but she had lots of issues from a younger age and it's often triggered by trauma mm. so she had some things happen to her with someone in our immediate family
1: Ugh, i'm so sorry to hear that
0: and it just i guess kind of ruined her entire life because it ravaged her brain really And the first few symptoms she had was this disorder called trichotillomania where you're pulling out your hair and it was her eyelashes, her eyebrows, then the hair on her head. And I just really didn't understand. I was like, well, she looks like a monster. Cause I was, I'm much younger than her. And she started that at like eight. So I must have been like four or five and I was scared of her. And my mom didn't really understand why she was doing this. The next, it was an eating disorder, which also was scary. Like imagine being a young kid and there's like this stick person walking around who doesn't have eyebrows or eyelashes, has a bald spot in the back of their head. It was just a lot of not understanding until I was older and kind of felt at times like I was living in a horror movie because yeah. I was I was
1: scared of her sometimes, yeah. Um, but you were also kind of, taking care of her. Yes,
0: because my mom worked full time from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And so I would get home from school and I would have to watch my sister. Um, As she got older, it turned into suicide attempts almost weekly. And so I would essentially come home from school, not be able to do my homework, not really be able to be a kid because it's like you need to watch your sister and make sure she doesn't kill herself. Call the police. If she does, try. Did you have to call the police? So many times. There are police at my house every week.
1: Wow, that's extremely traumatic.
0: I didn't think too much of it at the time, honestly. It was just something that I had to do. So you just, like, go through it, you get through it, and then you're just, like go to school tomorrow. It's a new day. I've always been extremely resilient.
1: So... You're growing up, you're taking care of your sister, your mom is working so much. What were you hoping to do with your life? How did you think about a way out? Yeah, so it's kind
0: of a coping mechanism that I still have now. I would watch YouTube videos, documentaries um, of girls like Anna Nicole Smith or the girls of Playboy, I was obsessed with it. And their life looked so fun because I had all this stuff going on at home. And then I would see them jumping on a trampoline and doing like parties and wearing cool costumes. And so I grew up thinking that sex work was like this glamorous thing that permits you to have this really fun life. But I never really took into account what, was behind the scenes going into it, so I was I was very naive, and a lot of people don't understand like how could you think that you're going to do porn or strip, but not really process that you have to have sex with people or be touched with people. But I've I figured out later, like I've become more self aware later in life to figure out why um, that happened.
1: And what would you say? Like, what was your idea of it versus what it actually became?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I watched all these documentaries and I didn't necessarily watch what they were doing as work. And so the day that I turned 18, I went to the strip club to become a dancer and that was fine. I actually like miss it sometimes, but there were circumstances where guys would touch you or or grab you in ways that they weren't supposed to. And so I never thought of that happening. I've I've always been very like, and people still tell me this, that I'm very innocent, Mm. and they're shocked
1: by it. What did you like about the strip club?
0: The community of girls. And I never thought that I was pretty growing up or attractive. I was so surprised when they hired me. I was like, oh my God, they really gave me a job here. And I also was raised extremely frugally. So when someone gave me a hundred dollars for a dance, I was like, "Oh my god, this is so much money! Yeah. I can't believe they want to give me a hundred dollars." And so it was the it was the attention and building my self esteem while going on stage. But the community of girls was what I really miss about it.
1: Wow, it's um, I'm thinking about that movie Hustlers. Did you see it? All the
0: girls just supporting each other, getting into mischief together. Mm-hmm. It's it's so fun and
1: kind of working together. So, what was the next step? Out? Why did you leave the strip club?
0: I think, so I had, I got married also during that time. Wow. Yeah, so when I had just turned 18, I started working at the strip club and I also got married and I had already had in my mind, obviously from all the documentaries and research that I had done that I wanted to do porn, Okay. just based off of that, I wanted to be like the girls that I saw. And so I did not do that because I was married and my husband at the time, would never, like if I even bought up that I was interested in that, he was very, he was a Syrian and very like, if I wore a shirt that he didn't like, he would cut it up. He didn't know that I was working at the strip club. How did you meet him? Um, So I met him when I was working at Tilted Kilt, which is like Hooters at 17. So it's like, you would think if you don't like girls that dress promiscuously, that you wouldn't have tried to date me or marry me, but he did. Was he much older than you? Yes. Mm -hmm. So he was 32. Wow. And I had just turned 18 that
1: week that we met. Wow. Yeah. What is that like to look back on now, that relationship?
0: I think that it shaped me in some ways that I have moved away from just because I didn't realize how controlling he was at the time. And I had issues in my relationships after that of expectations of relationships because he made me feel like so many things that weren't really wrong, like just living your life basically were wrong to do to your partner. So Mm -hmm. also probably going back to like not having seeing a relationship growing up because my mom never dated after she had me. I really had no idea when I got into this marriage that he was being over controlling or. Right. It was just what you knew again. Yeah. And so when I got into a relationship with my boyfriend that I ended up doing a whole YouTube channel with, we had some issues with just, I would construe things that's cheating that weren't cheating that he would do and just being over controlling myself because Mm -hmm. I, it was ingrained in me that this was how you handle a relationship and this is what's respectful and what's not. And now that I've grown into myself and seen what I like, I've moved away from those beliefs. So that's one negative that came from it.
1: I still, a lot of the guys that I was in relationships with and dated, I still, they're still, you know, 10, 12 years older than me, still haven't gotten to the age that they were when they met me. And it's such a weird thing because I'm like, I would never talk to a 17 year old guy. (laughs) I mean, even 17 year old girls, I'm like, oh, they're cool and amazing and whatever, but I'm not trying to chill with them yeah, because there's just such an obvious kind of gap between the way we see the world, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're still learning.
0: Yeah. You know, I think in a lot of ways it was because I was easy to manipulate and I had a lot of bad, a lot of people say now like it was dating harder after you did pornography and were a sex worker like no it was harder when I was younger because I was so naive and men used to really take advantage of me now because I've experienced all of that like no man's going to take advantage of me yeah but I would say yeah like they definitely used their age and their life experience over me to
1: put me in situations that weren't so great how were you hiding going to the strip club from him like how did that work
0: I just said that I was bartending at nighttime, and then I did have a relationship with my dad at one point, and he would drop me off there.
1: Got it. So yeah. you're, and so then what happened? How did you kind of like decide? Okay, now I'm going to start doing adult films.
0: Me and the husband like took a break for a few years. He actually ended up going to prison, so that's why we got separated, and he broke up with me before he went but we were still like legally married. And so I was like, fine, like, fuck you. Like you just left me. You don't want to be with me anymore, even though you're
1: going to be in prison. Like we could still be together. Yeah. Normally it's the other way around, right? Where the woman is like, you're disappearing. So I'm out.
0: Yeah, no, he he left me. I think he was probably cheating on me Mm -hmm. the whole time that we were together. So I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to go do what I've been wanting to do that I wasn't doing while we were together out of respect for you and he was in prison for like a few years. I, a lot of people don't know this, but it's been like eight, over eight years now since I actually shot professional porn. And I only did it for four, like two, four month stints. Wow! So it was really such a short period in my life yet so impactful. And I guess like porn is quite jarring. So mm-hmm. I could see why that still is people's like largest
1: perception of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw that at one point, like there's something like 334 million views or something crazy of your videos. I think it's billions. Okay, I mean, that makes sense. How does that feel?
0: I don't think about stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to conceive of it, right?
0: Yeah, or the thought, like I still don't even comprehend, like say I put out a photo that's sexy on Instagram. I don't comprehend that it's getting a bunch of saves because guys are jerking off to it sure I logically know that but when I'm posting the photo I know that there are videos of me out there I don't think about these guys like sexualized I maybe it's just I don't want to think about that so I don't
1: so you were really young when you when you started right it was was 19 wow and did it feel good at first what did it feel like to start doing it because you'd obviously thought about Anna Nicole Smith and like Mm -hmm. had this sort of idea of it and I'm sure the reality was jarring right
0: it was far different yeah um i don't think that i ever liked it i just that's why it only lasted in four months since i did it one time for four months like probably after the first month i was like how do i get out of this how do i because i i always was really in demand since i first got there um and they would book you out for like five months in advance, every like even more than that. I think I was booked out for an entire year. Wow. And working nearly every day, they wanted me to work.
1: And the agents are very I like, was gonna say, is there an agency?
0: Yeah, okay. so not an agency. So my first one was one particular agent and he operated by himself. When he first had me come out there, I had to stay in his apartment when I went to LA. Okay. Yeah, from Chicago. Mm-hmm. He flew me out there we had to live in his apartment. So it wasn't even like a separate model apartment. It was like a model room in his apartment that I shared with one other girl who I'm still very close with to this day. And her story is so interesting as well. But yeah, I had to live with him. And it just got very toxic, very fast, where I didn't feel comfortable asking for time off to go to the doctor, or he wouldn't allow me to have a boyfriend. But it was just the fact that it's supposed to be professional and someone's screaming at me and making me feel unsafe. And so that was why I left the first time, was because the whole agent situation became so toxic. But I probably did it for three more months than I had wanted to just because I didn't know how to tell him mm-hmm. that I didn't want to work with him anymore or that I didn't want to shoot porn anymore. I didn't I was really bad at saying no at that time in my life.
1: I mean you were 19. Yeah. Yeah. Um what was it like being on those sets?
0: I've kind of like disassociated mm-hmm. where if I see myself now back then or like try to remember it it's really hard, like I don't, like it almost feels like those aren't my memories and that wasn't me. Yeah. Like I really don't remember much. Sure, there's some bad experiences that obviously engraved in my brain that I remember, but it still doesn't feel like me Mm -hmm. or like the average like day-to-day of it, I don't remember at all. It's kind of like-
1: just, Just a blank period.
0: Yeah, blank space. And sure, there's like certain times that I really remember specifically going to a set and being disgusted by the guy that I knew I was going to have to do a scene with. And I remember that vividly. Mm. But other than that, there's not much memory of any of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. What was the circumstances that made you return to it for the second four months and I owed a lot of taxes Mm. for the
0: first time. And I think I had went back to school and I needed money for college. And there was, okay, now I remember. So those thoughts were in my mind, like needing money for all the things that I wanted to do in life. And there was this really big studio back in the day that all the girls wanted to shoot for. Like they would shoot really classy, pretty stuff. And they were like, look, if you come back and just do your first anal scene for us, we'll give you like 40K for the showcase that you're doing, which is like a five scene showcase. And so I was like, okay, that'll solve my my money problems with school, with my taxes. And I can just do this one movie that has five scenes in it and then dip out again. But I ended up getting sucked back in for another four months because the demand for me just became higher and higher. and Multiple studios were like, we want to make showcases around you. Like, just, and you know, was if the you're money getting, handed, getting better.
1: Um, the money was never great. Yeah, you've talked about the economics about it, which I think is so important for people who, you know, have ideas. I just think people should be talking transparency. It's like something around a thousand bucks a scene or something, is that right?
0: Yeah, and my rate is was higher right. because I was an in-demand girl than other girls. Other girls would probably get eight hundred dollars for a sex scene. Yeah. I would get twelve hundred dollars for a sex scene. And if you would ask for more than twelve hundred dollars you would be considered a diva and like people would talk shit about you. Wow. And I personally feel that that was a way to manipulate the girls into working for cheaper. Like there were a lot of like subliminals with like directors or your agent purposely talking shit about girls in that way in front of you so that you wouldn't dare to
1: like speak up for yourself right. or ask for more. Right, like you knew that if you did that, then you'd be talked about in that way as well. Yeah,
0: you'd be a diva or you would be like, They just make fun of girls that would ask for more closer to what they're worth i mean having sex for fifteen hundred dollars even is crazy yes
1: and then it lives on basically forever you've been really outspoken about your thoughts about porn in general. And we've had on like Mia Khalifa was on, um, we had Chloe Cherry on, different people who've worked in sex work, Julia Fox. Obviously she didn't do porn, but she worked as a dominatrix. And I'm just curious sort of what your takeaways are and what you, what your messaging and, and your feelings are around porn now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of things I've said have been taken out of context or like a tiny little bit. Like one thing that went viral was people said that I said that all porn should be illegal. (laughs) I definitely didn't say that. Um, I was speaking on another podcast about the downsides to the industry with exploitative managers and agents and directors and the really toxic and traumatizing things that can happen to girls. And I made a comment that in the current state of professional porn, when these things are happening to the girls, those
1: things should be illegal, yes. you know? There needs to be regulation.
0: Yeah, until there is more regulation put in place to protect the women, I I can't say that I agree with the industry, but I will say I do have friends who still shoot porn and they're, they're happy. I'm sure they have some negative experiences, they just don't talk about it. But there are a lot of girls like me who, so I've, I've become more self-aware lately. I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which I think my mental state had a lot to do with me being vulnerable to going into that type of career, also not being able to say no. A lot of people don't understand me when I try to explain how I felt in certain situations or, in scenes that I didn't wanna do them, but I smiled and I didn't say no, even though inside I felt like I was being raped. But the person who was working with me, it wasn't their fault because I didn't say, it's not like I said no, or I said, I don't wanna do this. I smiled and said, yes, like I thank you for the work. Having the insight that I have on myself and the things that I grew up with that shaped me in that way. I really understand why I wasn't able to say no. And a lot of people who don't have that understanding or they don't haven't struggled with mental illness, they just would never understand my side of things of how I could feel that way,
1: yet be smiling on the outside. I mean I think it's definitely personal obviously but there's so much cultural pressure um mm-hmm. that I think that's the story for a lot of women um with experiences like that where they don't understand why they behaved one way when they so f- clearly felt violated and mm-hmm. why there wasn't an instinct to like protect themselves and how instead they kind of you know pushed even maybe further um and I think that that can be the hardest part of healing from these kinds of experiences is like the shame you feel around yourself Mm -hmm. and like, why didn't I take better care of myself essentially? Yeah, why did I let that happen to my body? Yes, I think that it's not just about your mental health. I think it's just the world we live in and the culture we live in and how hard saying no is. As much as it's so great that you're doing that work, it's also like, it's not an uncommon experience for women. We'll be back with more Lana Rhodes after this. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. How do you feel about sex now? Okay, so going back to
0: how I have friends who still enjoy doing sex work, and then how I was prior to sex work, I've never been a girl who has like I only had one partner before I did porn. Wow. So I think girls who really enjoy sex and they're already doing things like gangbangs or like loving just having sex all the time, it might be a more fitted career for them because they're profiting off something that they would be doing anyway out of choice. For me, I was never interested in having sex with someone who I wasn't in love with. And so I think that definitely played a huge part in me not enjoying being a sex worker or feeling traumatized by certain experiences because I feel disgusted being touched by someone that I'm not in love with. And I've always been that way, which would be hard for people to understand me doing porn then.
1: Yeah, of course. So what is it like now, now that you're outside of that, like, do you just completely separate the sex that you had when you were working from like the personal romance and intimacy you experienced?
0: Yeah, so the biggest difference would be when I was working, I never thought of it as sex. It was a performance and I would plan things before the scenes of like what I was going to say, how I was going to squeeze the bed sheet, like it was strictly a performance. And then the times that it couldn't be were the times that were traumatic for me.
1: And what do you mean by what, when it couldn't like
0: be? When it got to me as a person, like say I showed up to a set and they didn't tell me that I would be working with an 80-year-old man. Then in my head, it was like I could feel every bit of it and it felt like rape to me because right. I didn't want to do it, but I didn't know how to say no. The other times are just a blur because it really was just a performance and didn't, impact me in any type of way that I know of Mm -hmm. right now. And how did you leave it finally? Um, What was the last straw? I didn't know how to quit, but I was having panic attacks, just generally wanting to die and not knowing how to tell anyone like, "Hey, cancel this year of work because they would tell me everyone's going to hate you. You'll never, you'll be banned from the industry. So I actually had this I actually ended up getting fired by my last agent because I was just mentally in the fucking shits. And we had gone to this award show in like Tampa and these other girls were there. The other girls did not like me. Just I've always been like very quiet and like I'm very nice too, but I'm quiet. And so people will be like, oh, she's such a bitch. Like she doesn't want to be friends with us. That's why she doesn't talk to us when it's the opposite. yeah. So they didn't like me it's obviously my choice if I choose to drink or like do drugs with people. So essentially like I got really drunk with them and they all were doing like Coke and I ended up doing Coke and I just snapped and when i won the award i went on stage with the microphone and i was like my wow. agent sleeps with all the girls that work for him and that's why this and this i threw a shoe at his head wow. and then it just
1: all came out at once. yes mm-hmm. and did it feel good to do that
0: i was so i was also obliterated right the next day when i woke up i didn't i woke up in the mental hospital the next oh day because i ended up jumping into Crocodile infested waters in Tampa Bay. Wow! And they called the police and I woke up in a mental hospital in Tampa, Florida. And my friend called me and she was like, this never happened by the way. These girls that were there, they went online and one of them posted scratches on her neck and said that I beat her up. I did not. Jesus. I did not.
1: How old were you?
0: I was, I was under 21 at this time. Oh my God. And so all this is going on. The porn community is like going crazy, saying that I'm such a bad person and like I got dropped by my agent. But for me, I was like, oh my God, like what did I do? But at the same time, I was like, yes, now all my jobs are canceled. I can walk away now. Right. And so it was really a turning point in my life where I was able to get out under, from under something that was really hindering me. And I just felt stuck in. And around that time I met a boy who was doing Instagram and YouTube. And that's kind of when I found out that I was being paid very poorly for what I was doing. He was getting, he had like a million followers and he was getting like $15,000 to post a picture with a Jeep on his Instagram. I was like, I'm getting $1,200 for to have sex with someone. So I was like, I'm gonna do Instagram. And I just started posting every day and I grew my account to over 15 million followers in under two years. Wow! And that's actually what catapulted me to number one on Pornhub. A lot of people think that I was... In porn, yes, I was very booked, but I wasn't number one. I wasn't even like top 20 Mm -hmm. at the time, like well-known. That came from people discovering me on Instagram and being like, oh, wow, I can also see this. And so it translated over to that. Mm
1: -hmm. And were you able to monetize your Instagram and have more control over everything?
0: Yeah. um, I got my first brand deal probably at like 3 million followers with Fashion Nova. They were the first person to give me a brand deal. And it wasn't really, I was one of the first girls coming from porn to move over into Instagram and get actual jobs and make money from it. And I was just so happy and relieved that I was able to do that. And you were living
1: in LA at this time?
0: I had moved back to Chicago periodically and then moved back to LA when I met Mike, my Mm -hmm. boyfriend that I did YouTube with.
1: What was it, I've seen your guys' videos and stuff. What was that like? Is it a good relationship to look back on?
0: We're still big supports for each other. Um, We will struggle a lot with different mental things. And even to this day, if I'm having an issue, I can call him crying or having a mental breakdown and we'll just each talk about our problems. And it's really nice sometimes because it takes you out of your own problems to hear about someone else's or really anything that I need or he needs, we would always show up for each other. So I would say that it is a great relationship that I built and also helped us both tremendously in our careers. Mm-hmm. I got to step away even further from adult work. Um, at the time I was still doing OnlyFans and I really didn't want to do
1: it anymore. What was your experience like with OnlyFans?
0: I think OnlyFans is great. Um, having come from professional porn, I think it's great that so many sex workers now have m- mostly the control handed back to them. Obviously, there's still going to be exploitative exploitatory people in that industry as well. But in most cases, it's a lot better for the girls. And so I just, you know, I was doing it for so many years at this point, there wasn't anything wrong with OnlyFans. I just was like, I don't want to show my tits right now anymore. Like, I'm just tired of it. And I really wanted to have a kid. Mm. And so I was trying to figure out a way to make income without doing any type of sex work. So when I got the opportunity to work with Logan and Mike, it it just made sense. And it helped us all tremendously at the life point that we were
1: in. And so it was sort of that was the transition and the avenue away from any type of sex work.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I'm I about to go back into OnlyFans. Okay. Um, But I have not done any type of OnlyFans or any type of sex work, really, for three years now.
1: Was it scary to leave it behind or did it feel good or was it both? What was that like for you?
0: I had other goals like having a kid. So when I finally was able to supplement my income without having to show myself or be sexualized in any way, it was really relieving. I'm not a very sexual person, so having to put myself out there in that way is generally uncomfortable for me.
1: Why did you want to have a kid so badly and what's that been like for you?
0: I just always wanted to be a mom, yeah. just always. And before I got pregnant with my son, when I was married, I used to beg for a kid and wow. I would collect baby clothes. <laughs> like, wow,
1: you always wanted to
0: yes, be mom. Yes, so bad from like 18. And so it was kind of always just like becoming financially stable enough to be able to support myself so that I could do that and not have to do sexy stuff. I really don't like when people do sexual stuff while pregnant. Mm. So I wanted to make sure that I could at least sustain myself for 10 months without Yeah, what was your pregnancy like? Awful.
1: <laughs> yeah, I read about you talking about that. What why was it awful?
0: I'm um, just I've experienced a lot of health issues from it. Mm. I developed PCOS afterwards, mm. which is like an insulin sexual reproductive insulin it's basically the diabetes of your sexual reproductive system. Wow. So um, I have to take medication out for the rest of my life. And it developed, you can get gest- gestational diabetes while pregnant. So it sort of manifested in that way. And then it was supposed to go away, but then it continued over into PCOS after. So I was just very uncomfortable. I gained a lot of weight. And my body filled up with tons of fluid. My face was just like... Did you have preeclampsia? Or- or, no okay, okay. it was just from the insulin resistance okay. like essentially having diabetes Ugh. untreated diabetes because you can't take medication right. and I couldn't walk my boobs got so big my back like taking a few steps I felt like my back was gonna break so I spent like 10 months in bed oh my god yeah and That's, mentally would you do it again
1: now or no
0: yeah. I'll never be pregnant again ever it's good to know that yeah, never. The the birthing experience was great though. It was one of the best days of my life.
1: I loved giving birth as well.
0: It was so like
1: euphoric and just special and amazing. Even with all the health complications that you'd been through. Yeah,
0: like. cuz I felt like it was going to be the end of it and like I it was finally like so I went through my pregnancy completely alone as well, which was a choice that I made, but I also went into a weird mental state when I got pregnant probably because the changes in my body that I just felt really uncomfortable being seen by people or being, it's very vain, but I did not want anyone to see me in that state. So I, don't I think spent, it's vain. You I mean, spent
1: your life making money off your body. It's understandable when it's drastically changing and you're not in control of it. You don't want to have to be exposed to the world in that way. Yeah. It makes sense.
0: I also didn't recognize until I was pregnant I was kind of on this kick before of, oh, your looks aren't that important. I'm um, enriching your mind and becoming more intelligent and learning how to speak better is, is more value to you. And I really thought that I had moved into that mindset and then I became pregnant and I felt all my value left to the point that I didn't deserve to have friends anymore. No man would even wanna look at me because I was so fat and gross looking in my mind. And you never should feel like that is your only value. And I thought that I was so beyond that at that point, And then I realized that I really
1: wasn't. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata like you're still so hard on yourself because it's like of course you felt that way um you had built a life and career around that so even if you were sort of interested in trying to do something else like it makes sense that especially again the thing about pregnancy is that you just don't have control you don't Mm -hmm. know what's gonna happen goes up even if you're dieting yes yeah okay and do you like being a mom now i love it it's the best
0: the best thing that's ever happened to me besides like I I still have some of the health issues which obviously sucks but I wouldn't ever take it back like my son has changed my life in the best way as possible I I I wouldn't ever even go back to the person that I was before so I guess it it did lead me in all directions to where I like I like where I am now better that's great A lot of things have changed for me mentally over the past few months. I recently started medication. I got proper diagnoses. I've been doing a lot of work on my mental health, but since having my baby, I have struggled probably from the worst mental health issues that I have in my entire life, just like debilitating. I've spent the past, since becoming pregnant, like over two years just in bed and not, living life or functioning like an normal person. Besides when it comes to my son, I always show up for him and I always do everything that I'm supposed to do and make sure that his life is great. Um, I always give him the childhood that I wish that I had and above and beyond so that he doesn't grow up with the traumas that I had or um, the personality disorder that I had, which comes from people not um, validating your emotions or punishing you. Sorry, I'm like getting so emotional. Oh,
1: Oh, it's okay. No, I'm, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. But it's also really remarkable what you've been through. And it's amazing that you're taking care of a child and also trying to take care of yourself. Yeah. It's really difficult.
0: And it's so important to, especially like with my sister, I always minimized if I wasn't functioning properly because I'm not seeing or hearing things. But Putting, when you realize that you're not functioning at the level that you should, or you're not living a life that makes you happy, you should go and get help and quit putting it off. I had never taken medication in my entire life, but recently I started a medication called Wellbutrin and binge eating disorder completely gone. The day that I took it, I quit. and like These were episodes that were severely impacting my life. When the thought came into my head that I had to start eating, it's all that mattered in that moment. And I would eat like an entire pizza, an entire loaf of bread, t- 20 candy bars, just to the point where it felt like my stomach was gonna explode. And then I would be sick for days after. And so I started this medication that went away, but I still had this issue now with, I don't have anorexia. I have like an eating disorder, like basically the symptoms from every eating disorder. Um, and so I still was restricting and I would go days without eating because I just I just felt like I needed to lose more and more weight after experiencing the PCOS and being a lot heavier than I wanted to be for a long time. And the Wellbutrin also just, it's like pathways switched in my mind that I couldn't begin to comprehend or even think in this way before taking the medication. Um, I also don't spend days debilitated in bed anymore because of it. Like, I would lose three, four days a week that I could be working to not being able to get out of bed because whatever would switch in my mind just made everything feel like everything was so negative and I couldn't see things any other way. Like, I would just wake up one day and think you're deformed, you're the ugliest person on the planet, nothing that you're doing is going to work out. Like just like these like crazy thoughts. and Really negative self-talk. Yeah. But it was just like, it really felt so real. Like that was reality. And then I could wake up the next day and be normal again. And so now with the medication, it keeps me more like a baseline where it doesn't really dip down that far. And I'm not debilitated by it anymore um, and I'm doing like dbt therapy and regular therapy weekly as well and um, there's still like other things that I feel could be better and just really getting the help that you need so that you could function on the level that you deserve to because everyone deserves to live the life that they want to live and if for whatever reason your brain is not functioning properly to let you do that you you should get do whatever you
1: can to get help for it. Right. Use the resources that are available to you and mm-hmm. try to take care of yourself. What's next for you? What do you see for the next couple of years and beyond that?
0: So now, like this is only recently, like maybe three months and I've been on the medication where I'm actually able to start thinking about those things again and getting back into my career that used to mean so much to me. Um so I am relaunching my OnlyFans okay. actually next week.
1: And how do you feel about it?
0: With the team that I have around me, now I feel really great about it. And also I'm not doing I'm not doing like nudity or anything. So it's more of um kind of like going back to childhood where I used to watch like these documentaries or these shows. Um and like I would disassociate into them. I still do that with films like really niche, like foreign films. And I like ones that have like like I still think that like implied nudity and implied sexuality is really beautiful and also a way of creative expression. So I'm directing um films kind of like the ones that I disassociate into where I can be part of them that has implied nudity and like set like it has like kissing in it, but it's never anything like me and my friend who is here today, we Mm -hmm. shot my first one together. And in real life, like we'll get drunk and we'll like make out. Mm -hmm. So it's only things that I would do in my real life are things that I truly find to be creative or beautiful. But we never go as far to like, oh, like your boobs have to be out for this scene. It's like you might wear, um, we did a scene where we were like in a river and we had like white garments on, like little flowy white pajamas and like it gets wet and yeah, you can see your nipple through your clothes or I'm comfortable like if my shirt kind of falls to the side and like you see it, but I never wanna have to be like, oh, like for the shot, your boobs have to Mm -hmm. be out. Like that's just so forced and uncomfortable. I like things to just flow really naturally and, creative and beautiful and i feel really good about things like that and it feels good to like be able to express yourself in that way and just like anything's great whether it's making clothes or modeling or directing something um or acting just to like the artistic expression is just so therapeutic Mm -hmm. i feel
1: yeah well i'm just so happy that you came on and talked about your experience i think willingness to talk about everything and i'm sure you kind of get it from both sides like of people being like why is she saying this whatever and Mm -hmm. i'm i know that it's not easy to put yourself out there and talk about your feelings about things that people judge you for and um i just really appreciate it and it makes me really happy that you are taking such good care of yourself and that you're enjoying being a mom so much Thank
0: you. Yeah. And I will say I so I read your book. You posted it. It made me yes. so happy. And then I listened to the audiobook on the way here. Oh wow. Yeah. And it was so much nicer to hear it in your voice and like the end like really hit where you ended it with giving birth to your son. Like almost like it's a new era in your life and like you're taking control back of your body. Yeah. I really related to so many parts in your book as well. What
1: did you relate to? Because when you posted it, I was like, I want to hear what she liked about it.
0: There was so much um, with like some of your own mental health struggles Mm -hmm. or like internal dialogue and thoughts that you had. I could relate
1: to just your thought process on a lot of things I found to be similar to mine. Yeah, well, some of the stuff you said just now about money and, you know, when you're so young being sexualized, like how... Mm -hmm how empowering, quote unquote, that feels and how confusing that can be.
0: that was another thing. It's just that you stated your change in mindset of how when you were younger, you thought that it was empowering. But now it seems over time that you've grown into yourself and you have more insight on yourself. You think about it completely differently, which is sort of what I've experienced as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what I relate to you too. I know that that's not easy to say, You know, that the thing that maybe has given you so many opportunities one way or another, it's also the thing that's maybe been the most painful and hurt you in many ways. And our experiences are different, but I relate to that. And I relate to the way that men and women don't really want to hear that always. Um, But I think that there are a lot of femme-presenting people in the world who do need to hear these stories because... Otherwise, it's just going to be the same cycle for generations and generations. So having a better idea of like what actual power is and what brings joy and happiness and makes your life full is important. I think it's important to hear it from the people who maybe, yeah, you could put on a pedestal. I mean, Anna Nicole Smith is unfortunately not here, but like we know that she went through hell You know, now everybody that's like, it's a tragedy what she went through. I mean, Marilyn Monroe is another example. And I think that if I had been able to hear those women talk about what it was like, and it would have been helpful for me. You only saw
0: the good sides of it growing up. And that's one of the only reasons why I go on podcast and, and speak about my experience is because these girls should, everyone should do what they want with themselves and their body. I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do, but they should at least be educated and see all sides to it because I definitely did not. Yeah. Because back then no one, like there weren't podcasts, there weren't people talking about it. It was once again, just directors putting their narrative out about how they wanted the girls next door to be presented, which is glamorous. And now they've all come out and talk about the not so glamorous side of it. So I think it's great for us to be out here sharing our perspective so young girls can take that into mind, they might not listen, but, but it's also
1: just really brave and also can take a toll on your mental health. So I really appreciate it. And thank you for reading the book. And I've never listened to it, but people have like talked about hearing it and I'm like, okay, maybe at this point I should probably listen to it. It's so good. You did thank a really you. good job
0: on it. And Thanks. it just it just helps experience so much more to hear your voice tone. Um, like there was one, chapter where you were talking to a specific guy yes and i was like okay this is the message for him and you can really tell how you were speaking to him you know mm. it puts it all into like your actual perspective
1: that was my version of getting on stage and <laughs> <laughs> saying fuck you yeah yeah i don't know where that person is anymore thank god all right well thank you so much for being here i really appreciate it and please stay in touch
0: i will thank you
1: All right, everyone, that was Lana Rhodes. I'm so grateful for her to come on and be as vulnerable as she was um, and talk about her experiences. I think that there's so much for us to discuss in this episode, and I hope that people, I feel very tender towards her experience and her, and I've seen a lot of things on the internet ripping her apart when we had Mia Khalifa on, for example, before, and we used a clip where she was talking about um, her experiences. There was just so much hate directed her way, and I really hope to protect her from that. But I also think it's really important to air episodes like this because it speaks so much to the reality of fame and sex work. I think it's really interesting. She's not the first guest who's been in sex work who's talked about being asexual or not really interested in sex. We talked about that with Julia Fox. and. Yeah, I'm just really curious what everyone's reaction to what she had to say in her her journey is, whether it be with the mental health stuff or with men or with her body. Um, and we covered a lot today. Thank you all for listening. You can always go to highlow.fm to submit your voice notes so we can discuss this episode with the subscription episode Talk Back. There's also a hotline. It's 42 High Low 4. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. High Low with Rata is a Sony Music Entertainment and Bitch Era Media production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Matt Raz. Our showrunner is Matt Raz. Our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh.